So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Come and See Inspirations, being produced here in our Come and See studio here in Ada. And it's the 24th of November, the Feast of Christ the King. It's actually the last day, the last Sunday in the church's year. Helping me to present the programme as usual this morning, Shane Ambrose. Good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, John. How are we doing? We're good. Thanks a lot for joining me, Shane. So, as usual, um, the programme will include Shane, of course, sharing some saints for the week for us in part, part one of the programme. In part two of the programme this morning, we will be continuing on our reflections. Father Frank Dewick join us again to uh, give us more reflections on the Mass. I know quite a few people contacted me during the week and they enjoyed the programme last week. And, of course, in part three, we'll, as usual, read and reflect on the Word of God. But in the meantime, just to say welcome again to our listeners, especially those who are housebound, those who are lonely and struggling at this stage, uh, somewhere, somewhere today, hopefully, you'll be able to hear some good news, something to cheer you up and something to encourage you. Our programme uh, is broadcast, as people would be aware at this stage, at West Limit 102, and a programme called Sacred Space. And that goes out at 10am and 11pm each Sunday, and it's available on various, um, various platforms, as I say, we have these days. If one were to Google Come and See Inspirations, for instance, that we're on there, come and see inspirations.bushbread.com, but you just Google Come and See Inspirations, you can hear, as I said last week, all the progress we've put up for the last few years, and thanks a lot to Shane again. And also sacredspace102.blogspot.com, that's the a blog which Shane kept going for about 10 years when we had 1.2 million visitors. Um, all of our programs are available to be heard there for the last 11 years. Any problems with any of those, If you, some of the links maybe might be a little bit faulty at this stage, uh, if you give me a text on 087-6088-667 or email me, sacredspace102 at gmr.com, we'll do our best to re-establish those links. So again, those contact details, 087-6088-667 or email sacredspace102 at gmail.com Okay Shane, Saints for the Week, please yeah, Now before we get into the Saints I suppose just to point out to people that we have a new Blessed on the way and that is of course Blessed Fulton Sheen Yes, right. yeah. So um, the the Diocese of Peoria, which is the diocese that he was in, in he was born in in the States, announced on Monday last week the 19th that he was to beatified on in December that on December the twenty first in the city's cathedral of Saint Mary of the Immaculate Conception, so it's just an interesting one. Uh, we'll cover it again in another program, but just to mark the announcement this week. Uh, so, as John said, we are in the thirty fourth week in ordinary time. For those praying the Psalter, we're on week two, and of course, it is the last week of the lit- current liturgical year. So that means then next Sunday, of course, is the first Sunday of Advent. And we will be moving, for those that are following the readings, um, we'll be moving to cycle A and for the Sunday readings and cycle two for the weekday readings. So um, saints this week, John. So Monday is the 25th. Now, it's an interesting one. There's three saints listed on the order. There's St. Catherine, associated very much with St. Catherine of Alexandria. And I was surprised, actually, to see her still on the Ordo because I had taught that Catherine was one of those saints who disappeared after the Second Vatican Council. She was one of the 14 Holy Helpers, uh, died in 310 in Alexandria. And generally, uh, she's associated, of course, with Catherine Wheels, the firework, because she was supposed to have been martyred on the wheel 
uh, which then broke under her. Uh, and her body, or her relics rather, are venerated at the Monastery of St. Ca- Catherine, which is at the foot of Mount Sinai. Uh, now, the reason why she went missing for a while from the calendar is they weren't quite sure if she was real or not. But she's back on the order. She's she's never actually been dismissed. Um, then there's the feast day of St. Clement. He was one of the early popes, the third successor of St. Peter. And uh, he had a famous letter which was sent and he was martyred by drowning in the Crimea. So often um, he's, he, the symbol of his martyrdom is the anchor. Now, the interesting thing about St. Clement, of course, is there is an Irish connection because the Basilica of San Clemente in Rome, where his relics are, is is in the care of the Irish Dominican province. And the interesting thing, of course, about San Clemente in Rome is if you ever visit it, it's three churches built on top of on top of each other. So there's an early Mithritic temple built on top of an early Christian church, built on top of a 12th century church, built on top of a I don't know. It's interesting. You should go see it if you're in Rome. And and it's 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 a nice place to visit. And it's very near the Colosseum. Then, as well as that, then on the Irish calendar on the 25th, we have the feast day of St. Coleman, uh, associated with West Cork, a bard by profession. And his apostolate was to East Cork, and his main foundation was in Cloyne. So it would be the principal feast day for the Diocese of Cloyne. Then on Tuesday, we have the Tuesday, the 26th of November. We have the feast day of Blessed Hugh Taylor. He is the first of the Elizabethan martyrs. That is those martyrs martyred for the faith under Queen Elizabeth I after the death of her sister, Queen Mary. And Hugh Taylor was hung, drawn and quartered for the, for the crime of being a priest. Then on Wednesday, the 26th, sorry, uh, Hugh is also one of the, the 40 martyrs of England and Wales. I should have said that as well. Then on Wednesday, the 27th, we have the feast day of St. Fergal in the Irish calendar. Now, St. Fergal is associated with France and Bavaria and associated very much so with the city of Salzburg and where he had a, a, a reputation for learning and holiness and he died in 784 AD. Then on Friday, the yeah, it is no, sorry, on Thursday, the 28th, I beg your pardon, it is the feast day of St. Catherine Labore. Of course, Catherine Labore, of course, is the seer of the of the miraculous medal and associated very much with Rue de Bac in Paris. She was uh, born nine, born nine to 11 children, um, never learned to read or write. Um, her and she worked She worked for a number of years. She, well, she did look after the house after her mother died. She worked at her uncle's cafe in Paris. And then she later joined the Sisters of Charity founded by St. Vincent de Paul. And she had a vision of Our Lady who described her a medal which she wished struck. On one side, it was the image of Our Lady and the words, O Mary, conceive without saying, pray for us who have recourse to thee, which we now, of course, know as the Miraculous Medal. So that's Catherine Labore, and her her she her body is incorrupt actually in 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 France. It's an interesting one if you ever get to visit the Rue de Bac. Then on Friday the twenty ninth of November, we have the feast day of Saint Brendan of Burr. Brendan of Burr, obviously associated with the town of Burr, he is known as one of the twelve apostles of Ireland. He was a friend and brother monk with Brendan the Navigator, spiritual student of Saint Finian and founded his monastery in Burr in County Offaly and served as its abbot. He was also a friend and advisor of St. Columba. So that's who we celebrate on Friday, the 29th of November. 
And then finally, John, on Saturday next, the 30th of November, we have the feast day of St. Andrew, Apostle, and uh, the second, well, the first, one of the first apostles called by Jesus, um, disciple originally of St. John the Baptist, and he, of course, is the brother of St. Peter. And, of course, um, St. Andrew is the patronal feast, or sorry, is the patronal saint of the uh, Patriarch of Constantinople. Uh, so we wish they, they'll be celebrating their feast day on the 30th of November. So that's what we have, John, in terms of our celestial guides this week. Thank you very much, Dave, for sharing that with Shane. All right, just um, one or two little notes. Well, one note is actually that I want to, want to remind people again of. And that's this Advert Retreat, the annual Advert Retreat, taking place on Saturday, the 30th of November in Advert uh, Retreat Centre. Bus leaving Car Park in Newcastle West at 8.15. It'll be back at 5.30. Cost including €40 Euros for the bus. Please book as soon as possible by giving your name and telephone to the sacristy in Newcastle West by ringing the parish office 69 that's the Advert Retreat taking place Saturday the 30th of November in the Advert Retreat Centre. John, just one notice for this week. It's just a reminder to people that might be interested. We had Father Enfield Skibben on from the Irish Institute for Pastoral Studies talking to us about the programme for pastoral lay ministry, which the Institute is is uh, producing or facilitating. Just to remind people, there is an information evening in Newcastle West at the Longcourt Hotel at 7.30pm on Wednesday, the 27th of November. So that's the Long Court in Newcastle, 7.30pm on Wednesday. Thanks, Vashay. So now at this point of the programme, I'd like to pray a spiritual communion prayer, and that's for those those of our listeners, as there's many of them who can't get out of the house, who used to receive Jesus in Holy Communion each Sunday, each week, maybe each day, now cannot, now cannot leave their own homes. But this is a spiritual communion prayer, that we will receive Jesus into our own hearts. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot now receive you sacramentally, come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. So now we'll go for our first bit of music. And the first bit of music this morning, it's something that I think both myself and Shane Enjoy listening to by uh, it's sung by Frank Patterson and the Irish Philharmonic Orchestra, and this one is entitled "Hail Redeemer, King Divine." So let's say this.
Welcome back again to the second part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley. Following on from last week's reflections, it's a delight for me to welcome back into Come and See studio Father Frank Duick again, who's going to continue his reflections on the Mass. Good morning again, Father Frank. Morning, John. OK, last week we went through right the way up, I believe, to the Liturgy of the Word. So maybe, Father, as I remember you saying at one point, that Christ is present in different ways when the Eucharist is celebrated. Can you expand a little bit on that, please, Russ? Yes, John, I think that's worth spending a few minutes on. Theologians and liturgists speak of Christ being present in four different ways when the Mass is celebrated. First, the theologians point out he is present in the gathered community of God's people, the congregation. People will remember the words of Christ in the Gospel where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in their midst. Secondly, Christ is present in the person of the ordained priest who leads the congregation in the prayers of the Mass and who helps people understand the words and actions of the liturgy. When the priest does that, he acts in the person of Christ and on behalf of the congregation. Thirdly, Christ is present, as we reminded listeners last week, in the Word of God. As we pointed out last week, each time the Word of God is proclaimed from Scripture, Christ is present in that Word. This can be a difficult concept to grasp, but it is very important that we be aware of that special presence of God in the living Word of Scripture. The fourth and special and probably best-known presence of Christ is in what we call the Eucharistic species, the body and blood of Christ. This is often described as the real presence, capital R, capital P, the real presence of Christ. This does not mean that the other three presences I have mentioned are not real. They are. But the emphasis on real presence regarding the Eucharistic species 
is to counteract the belief by some that the Eucharistic species are only a symbol of the body and blood of Christ. We will come back to deal with this again, John, when we talk about the consecration of the Mass. Open my eyes, Lord Help me to see your face Open my eyes, Lord Help me to see Open my ears, Lord Help me to hear your voice Open my ears, Lord Help me to hear Open my heart, Lord to love like you open my heart Lord help me to love so Father Frank can you speak a little bit about the significance of the creed in the Mass yes John um, first of all there are two versions of the creed Uh, that can be used at Mass. There is the Apostles' Creed, which is the one most of us would have learned and indeed probably know by heart. This creed has been traditionally used at the beginning of the recitation of the Rosary. Uh, The other creed that is used frequently in the Mass is what is entitled the Nicene Creed. I should point out, John, that the word creed comes from the Latin word credo, meaning I believe. What we have in the creed is a gathering together of the core dogmas of the church. The Nicene Creed is the more substantial of the two. And this Nicene Creed got its name from the Council of Nicaea, which was the first ecumenical council held in the church. It took place in the year 325, long time ago, John. This creed was further developed at the Council of Constantinople in 381. You will note that in the course of professing our faith in the creed, we use the phrase, I believe, four times, at the beginning of each of the four sections. In the first section, the focus of our belief is God the Father. The Father Almighty, we say, the maker of heaven and earth, of all things, creator of all things, visible and invisible. The second section focuses on Jesus Christ, his Son, and on his relationship with the Father. It is in that section that the word consubstantial turns up uh, to describe Jesus' relationship with the Father. There was a lot of ill-informed discussion, John, about this word when the new translation of the Mass was introduced five or six years ago. And the suggestion was being, you'll remember, John, being put forward that that time that a simpler, more familiar word should have been used instead of this big, strange word, consubstantial. 
But as I said, this talk was ill-informed because there was no simpler word that could catch the reality that was being described. This word, consubstantial, describes a unique reality and doesn't describe any other reality. The third section uh, focuses on the Holy Spirit. And the final section uh, introduced by the phrase, I believe, is professing our belief in the church founded by Christ. We say, and I quote, I believe in one holy, Catholic and apostolic church. Some of our listeners will remember learning off what were called the four marks of the Catholic Church. One, holy, Catholic and apostolic. And we conclude the creed there by saying we look forward to the resurrection. Father Frank, up to now in these reflections we've been dealing with the first part of the Mass, the Liturgy of the Word. Can you lead us on now from from there, please? Yes, John, having covered the Liturgy of the Word, we now come to the second major part of the Mass, the Liturgy of the Eucharist. Something to note here, to mark the movement on to the Liturgy of the Eucharist, a practical thing, is that the priest moves from the ambo to the altar. Up to this point, the altar has not been used in the Mass. This second part of the Mass begins with what we call the offertory or the preparation of the gifts. Up to this point, there is only the missal on the altar. In fact, strictly speaking, the liturgists remind us that the missal should not be put on the altar until this moment. Then when the priest moves to the altar, either the altar servers or members of the congregation bring the bread and wine to the altar. And the prayer said during this part of the Mass point in three directions. People will be aware that the prayer said are as follows. Blessed are you, Lord, God of all creation. Through your goodness we have received the bread or the wine we offer you, fruit of the earth, and work of human hands. It will become for us the bread of life, or will become our spiritual drink. So you have emphasis there on three things. First, God the Creator's goodness. Secondly, the human labor by which the wheat and grapes is transformed for human benefit. And thirdly, the final destiny of the gifts themselves when they become the bread of life and our spiritual drink. Our offering, as it puts it, my sacrifice endures. 
as the priest says to the congregation. Gifts of bread and wine, gifts we've offered, fruits of labor, fruits of love, taken offered, sanctified, blessed and So the next part of the Mass, Father Frank, is the Eucharistic prayer. Can you talk a little bit about that to us? Well, John, I'd want to be a, a professional dogmatic theologian uh, to take you into the depths and, and the history of this part of the Mass. And I'm not a professional teacher of theology, so I'll try and make a, a few simple points on it. Before you do that, before you do that, may I interrupt you there for a second, Father Frank? Uh, and I want to ask you to clarify, how many Eucharistic prayers are there? That's a good point, John. We need to clarify here uh, how many there are. First of all, there are the four basic Eucharistic prayers that people will be most familiar with, called simply Eucharistic Prayer 1, 2, 3 and 4. Then there are other Eucharistic prayers to be used on specific occasions. Perhaps they're not used often enough. And these would have a particular theme running through them. As you said, uh, Father, Father Frank, the Eucharistic prayers take us very deep into theology. But can you give us a few insights into them? Yes, John, I would like to make a few points that I hope will make the Eucharistic prayers a bit more accessible to people. At the heart of all Eucharistic prayers, you have the consecration. This is the most sacred moment in the Mass when our gifts of bread and wine become the body and blood of Christ. Catholic theology is very clear, John, on what it calls the real presence, as we mentioned before, stressing that we are not talking about the Eucharistic species of bread and wine being symbols of the body and blood of Christ, but a real presence of Christ's body and blood. Jesus didn't say, this is a symbol of my body. No, he said, this is my body. The word theology uses for this transformation that takes place at the consecration is transubstantiation, a unique word not used to describe any other reality. This transubstantiation is the very heart of the Eucharistic ministry. In simple language, what we have here is Jesus gifting himself to us. Many people, John, I believe, have walked away from the Mass because they say they cannot understand it. But, John, none of us can understand the Eucharist. It is something we accept by faith. Faith based on the clear teaching of Jesus. We are dealing here with mystery. Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe. I believe. 
Father, Father, the Eucharist is it's a reenactment of the passion, death and resurrection of Jesus. Isn't that right? That's right, John. Jesus, for the first time at the Last Supper, took bread and blessed it, took wine and blessed it. And then he said, this is my body, this is my blood, which will be given up for you. And all of this was in anticipation of what was to happen uh, in the following days, the death and resurrection of Jesus. On Good Friday, his body and blood will be offered up on the cross. And that happens each time we celebrate Mass. The Mass makes it possible for us to connect evermore with what we call the Paschal Mystery, the Passion, Death and Resurrection of Jesus the most momentous event this world has ever known. Father, doesn't what you're saying there really point to how important the, the Mass and the Eucharist is? It certainly does, John. Uh, it is such a pity that so many people have walked away from it. If they only realised the treasure they are leaving behind them. There is a line in the documents of the Second Vatican Council which says, and I quote, the Eucharist contains the entire spiritual wealth of the Church. End of quote. The Eucharist is at the heart of what we are about as Catholics. Because in it, we are, as I've said, we are, as I've said, drawn into the passion, death and resurrection of Jesus. I cannot stress that enough, John. And all of that is reflected in each of the Eucharistic prayers. Frank, before we move on from the Eucharistic prayer, is there anything else you want to say about that part of the Mass? There's so much you can say about it, John. I suppose to mention that in every Eucharistic prayer there is a commemoration of the living and of the dead. Indeed, if we listen carefully, John, to the Eucharistic prayer, we notice that we pray for everyone and for all God's plan. To conclude here, John, just a little word on the Amen response that the congregation makes at the end of the Eucharistic prayer when the priest says, through him, with him, and in him, and that prayer and so forth. That Amen is known as the great Amen. You see, only the priest says the words of the Eucharistic prayer aloud. And I think it was St. Augustine 
that referred to that Amen, the great Amen, as the people's signature to the Eucharistic prayer. There is the danger that the Amen response is so short that some people don't bother saying it. This is a pity because Amen means yes, I agree, I believe. A very important response. Next, uh, we come to the Lord's Prayer. Dear our Father, can you give? A, can you can you comment on that, please, Father? Yes, John. This, of course, is the prayer that Jesus Himself taught us, and again, it is full of meaning. But just one or two comments on its use in the context of the Mass. The Lord's Prayer is very much a community prayer, prayed to our Heavenly Father by us, His children. It's worth noting that even when we pray it privately, on our own, we still say our. We don't say my Father. We also say give us this day. Uh, You or I don't say give me this day. So it is a prayer we always pray, conscious of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So you can see how well it fits into the Mass where we are gathered with the members of our local Christian community. So then we come to the sign of of peace. Any comment on that, Father? As I said, uh, John, at Mass, we are a gathering of God's people who are called to love one another and thus to create peaceful communities. And we started the Mass calling on the Lord to forgive us for ways in which we have failed to love one another, failed to live in communion with one another. So here at the sign of peace, we wish one another uh, the peace that Jesus offers us. You will remember John, Jesus saying in St. John's Gospel, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. A peace the world cannot give, that is my gift to you. End of quote. And now we're coming to the reception of Holy Communion. Yes, John, here we find Jesus giving himself to us, 
body of Christ. And we reply, Amen. In other words, I agree, I believe that it is the body of Christ. So that Amen is meant to be a profound act of faith in Christ's real presence. Again, that brief but very important response, Amen. So, Father, we're very near to the end of Mass now. Have you a final comment? Yes. uh, The Mass ends with what we call the post-communion prayer, followed by the priest giving a final blessing to the congregation. And the very final words spoken by the priest are, Go in peace, glorifying the Lord with your life, or in another translation, Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. I actually prefer that latter translation to love and serve the Lord. Because I see, John, I see that as our task for the week ahead. To love and serve the Lord. And by our prayer and above all, by the way we live our lives. And let us note, John, that the first thing we do when we gather from Mass is we call to mind our sins. That is, we call to mind ways in which we have failed to love and serve the Lord. Another way I have heard this put, and I quote, In the Eucharist we break the bread of life, the body of Christ. And our task going out from the Eucharist is to break the bread of our lives in love and service of the Lord through love and service of one another. Thanks, Father Frank, for for sharing those reflections with us. Just one little observation, maybe just as we finish up, I'd have myself after listening to your reflections. He said that we as lay people are not just onlookers watching the priests saying Mass. We're participants. Oh, certainly. Certainly participants, uh, John. And uh, perhaps the sense of being there listening to Father doing the Mass Maybe that's a, a relic from the time we had the Latin Mass when people didn't understand. You know, those of us of a certain age will remember when Mass was in Latin. So maybe that cast people into the role of kind of uh, passive, maybe, listeners, you know, which would certainly not be an accurate description of of, uh, of what they are. No. Now, it must be said, John, that while we do stress, you know, very strongly that the the people are participants, they're not uh, passive listeners. Uh, We must stress the profound connection between priesthood and Eucharist. We cannot stress that enough because if we don't get that connection, a lot collapses. There is a profound connection 
between the the pre the the, the ordained priest and uh, Eucharist, and we must never lose sight of that. And that's why, you know, it's such a worry for people at the moment. You know, not the the possibility of not having priests to celebrate Eucharist, which is so so central to our lives. But having said that, um, no, the congregation are certainly not uh, passive onlookers, so to speak. They're, they're all there, the gathered people of God, the baptized people of God, all responding to God's call. You know what I see, Mass John? Um, we're called in and we're sent out. Yeah. Rather than say, I go to Mass and I go home after Mass. Mm-hmm. I am called in. My, my decision to go to Mass is a response to the invitation of Christ, do this in memory of me. And when I go out, I don't just go out, I am sent out, sent out to do what? To love and serve the Lord. So, Father, thanks again uh, for giving us that, 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 that final reflection, that final thoughts to take away with us. Couldn't help but, um, but think, as you were speaking there, it might be an opportune time for you to share with us um, a vocation prayer please could you share that with us please yes certainly John I would love to thank you something we should be all praying for vocations all the time I sometimes wonder I have no way of knowing of course but I sometimes wonder you know how often do people pray for vocations people should be praying every day for vocations almighty God you have called us through baptism to discipleship with your son Jesus Christ and you have sent us to bring the good news of salvation to all peoples We pray that those whom God is calling from our community to serve him in priesthood and religious life may respond with generosity and faith and that they may receive support, encouragement and spiritual nourishment for the seed of their vocation in their families and in our wider parish community. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father Frank, thank you very much indeed. You're very welcome, John. So welcome back again to Come and See Inspirations, the third part. My name is John Keeley, joined still by Shane Ambrose. This part of the programme is we read and reflect on the Word of God. And before that, Shane will be sharing a prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thank you, Shane. 
Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander, but may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So the Gospel for today, the Feast of Jesus Christ, Universal King, is taken from the Gospel of Luke again, chapter 23 and verse 35 to 43. The people stayed there before the cross, watching Jesus. As for the leaders, they jeered at him. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers mocked him too. And when they approached to offer him vinegar, they said, If you are the King of the Jews, save yourself. Above him there was an inscription, This is the King of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging there abused him. Are you not the Christ, he said? Save yourself. And us as well. But the other spoke up and rebuked him. Have you no fear of God at all, he said. You got the same sentence as he did. But in our case, we deserved it. We are paying for what we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus, he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Indeed, I promise you, he replied, today you'll be with me in paradise. So that's the gospel for today. Shane, have a little thought, please, for us. Sure, John. Um, so this Sunday, of course, is the Feast of Christ the King, or the Solemnity of Christ the King of the Universe. Now, it's actually a relatively newish feast to the liturgical calendar, and it was put in place by Pope Pius the the eleventh uh, in 1925. Um, it's it's. It's an unusual feast, I suppose, in modern terms. I suppose often when we look at things on the liturgical calendar, many of the feast days we celebrate, they're quite ancient. And, um, you know, I suppose, and because things can be old sometimes, we give them a free pass. But this particular feast, is, as I said, it's, it's, a pretty, it's a relatively new one. But I suppose the idea behind it, I suppose... Um, was the fact that Pius wanted to put in front of the world the fact that um, Christ is still is still the master, if you like, of the universe. It came out of a time when you had the the emergence of extreme secularism, and also you had the rise of fascism with both uh, Mussolini, Hitler, and Franco. So. It was a reminder at that time, and I suppose the question is for us, is it still a reminder for us today in the 21st century? Is it still an appropriate uh, feast day? And I suppose one of the questions is, well, you know, we, we, we can kind of get stuck with that language of kingship. Um, because, of course, you know, kingship was very important in the Old Testament, Um you know, God was the king of Israel, the people of Israel, uh, but they looked for a king and they ended up with Saul and David 
and and Solomon and the monarchy that went from there. But of course, you know, at, at, it was supposed to be a servant king, a shepherd king. Because of course, David, of course, was anointed and he was a shepherd in the field. And it was this whole idea that, you know, the people of God belonged to God, if you like. They were his chosen people. They were his set apart. And a reminder to us that God is the creator of all creation. And everything that we have comes from God and returns to God. But as well as that, I suppose, I suppose if we were looking at it today, John, it's kind of a hard one. Because, of course, the alternative that's given is as opposed to a king who's autocratic or controlling or someone in authority that's telling people what to do and controlling what they do, the presentation of Jesus is very different because his throne was the cross. As we just heard in the gospel account, which we just read from uh, Luke. So we read Luke's account of the crucifixion. And it's very much, of course, a case of, you know, Jesus opening his arms on the cross to embrace all of humanity and all of the cosmos and take us into himself and present us back again to his father as this beautiful gift. And I think one of the questions for us this week is, you know, when we're trying to get our heads around that whole language of kingship, I suppose if you wanted to boil it down another way is who is the person to whom I give my life and who leads my life? Um. You know, it's a, you could put it another way. Um, do I have any idols in my life? And people say, well, no, 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 Shane, I don't. I don't. You know, I, I say my prayers or I, I go to mass or I, I have my spiritual practice or whatever it is. And it's a case of, yes, but, you know, what about the time spent on, you know, the WhatsApp or the Facebook or the or the, the, the Spotify or, you know, or what about the time that's spent you know, in terms of things like pursuit of money or status or having a socialized conscience, something like that. So the the idea, I suppose, of this feast being at the year end is it causes us to pause and to see uh, whether or not we properly give a place to Jesus in our daily lives. And that is, I suppose, that is why um, it's it's important uh, that we, we we pay attention to this because, of course, Jesus came and will come again. That's what we believe. That's what we profess in the creed every Sunday. Um, and I suppose the question is, does he reign, I suppose, in our minds? Do we give space for him? Do we, um, do we open our hearts to him and cleave to him as Pius, as the term Pius, the 12th or the 11th used? It's a hard feast, I suppose, John, to reflect on. Um, and particularly the gospel that's given because it is the crucifixion scene. And I suppose that is the important thing. It's the understanding that of the kingship of Christ is not that of dominion and control and autocracy, but is one of service and love, ultimately with the laying down of our lives or his life for us. And the call that that puts on us as his followers to be open to seeing what way we are asked to be of service to others. So, you know, it's a role, the role of leader is to be that of servant leader. And it, of course, links in nicely, I suppose, with that, um, I suppose, since John Paul I, um, there is this tradition or the renewed tradition that one of the titles that the Pope holds, and he has many titles, he's Bishop of Rome, Metropolitan of Italy, so on and so forth. But one of the most important ones is servants of the servants of God. 
And that, I suppose, sums it up for us as well, that we should be servants to one another. Shane, thank you very much Dave, for that. Now, we're right up against the clock, but you just um, teased us there with a little piece of music, maybe. The piece of music you chose that we finish off today's programme. Yeah, so the piece of music is just, it's the Servant Song, and I thought it was an appropriate way. We had Hail Redeemer, King Divine at the start of the programme, and this is another one that's very traditional, more often than not in the US for this feast day, and it is, of course, the Servant Song. Okay, so listen, listen to the Servant Song by Cassie Thompson. In the meantime, from Shane and myself, thank you very much, Nick, for joining us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed Father Frank Dewick uh, finishing off his reflections on the Mass this morning. And please join us again next week. God bless you all now. Bye. Ah. Uh-huh.